Hey, this is Jillian again, welcoming you to another episode of Mother Nature Will Kill You Rewind. Uh, We still have a few episodes to go before we come back um, full time with new content, Um, but this is uh, what we're releasing until then. So it's just stories um, that we've done in the podcast before um, that we've found interesting or provocative or awe-inspiring. And so we just got back from Haley's bachelorette party. Hooray! So the wedding is just around the corner and our break is almost over. Uh, So today we're going to be diving in, no pun intended, a little bit pun intended, to a cave story. And as you know, from the early, early beginnings of the podcast, caves have been a source of pure terror for both Haley and I. And while the Nutty Putty Cave story is probably brought up the most, I wanted to do this one because this one is probably the most terrifying of all of the cave stories that I have talked about um, to date. And it's probably the most complex, intense um, sort of recovery as well. And so uh, I hope you guys enjoy and we'll see you back on March 4th. Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine. And let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone. Running far, far from home Till I am but skin and bone There she is. Sorry she blows. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, We're having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every time we do this, we're just like so exhausted because we're just giving it our all in like the rest of our life. Yeah, that sounds about right. But in reality, it's because I spent three days on Bourbon Street. <laughs> which that sounds fun in new orleans this weekend i you know kind of wanted to do frenchman street and have like you know chill like we'll drink a lot but we'll go to jazz clubs you know but i guess it was like said you got shit faced on bourbon street oh, and blacked yeah. out and broke your foot <laughs> i okay so yes i <laughs> fell down on the first night we were doing a ghost tour because, of course, oh, we were. You quote unquote fell down, more like you were pushed down by a spirit. Oh no! I straight up fucking fell on my ass. <laughs> oh, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> so spirits involved. I like where you're going with it, but I'm gonna completely own up to this one. Um, I was, you know, fairly inebriated at this point, and a lot of the sidewalks there are not great. Mm-mm. Um, so they are not, I can confirm. 
our friend had already fallen in a hole that night. Oh, God. Busted her knees. Like, it was like a manhole cover that was just open. Oh, no. Oh, my God. And it was dark. So, you know, you can't really see. I don't even know really what I stepped in, but I was down for the count. And my... I thought at first that my foot was actually broken. Like, oh no, the first day of the trip too. That'd be awful. Yeah, because New Orleans is a walking city. <laughs> yeah, you can't really walk if you don't have a foot to walk on. Right, and it it was a bit of a struggle at first, but it turns out I probably just bruised the bones on top on the top of my foot. So yeah, they're you like really something too. Does it still hurt? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wonder if you chipped a bone. Um, I don't know, because it doesn't hurt when I'm not putting pressure on it. It's fine. And I have, like, a full range of motion. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so walking on it is still difficult. It's still pretty tender. And it's very bruised. It looks really bad. <laughs> it looks so bad. I hope it's just a bruise. Is it, like, the top of your foot? It's or the like whole, the bottom, the whole the whole thing. The whole thing is <laughs> just kitten caboodle. <laughs> pretty sure I sprained a couple of toes. Like so oh, no. Corey brought me home a uh crutch and like a ankle wrap. And yeah. if I'm still having like if it's 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 definitely improved since Friday. That's but, good. At least it's improving. Right. But if I'm still having a lot of trouble walking by the end of this week, I'll probably go to see a doctor. <laughs> Yeah, you might have to end up on one of those scooters. Yeah, that's what I wish I had <laughs> while we were there to scoot around. Yeah, put a little horn on it and beep at people when you're coming through. Exactly, exactly. Um, I wanted to talk about, instead of like a news story today, we met this guy when we went on our uh, swamp tour. He was our guide. Oh, yeah? Um, so we did like the swamp gator tour like an airboat yeah like an airboat tour that's fun um it was like 40 minutes out of the city but like it was very worth it and honestly all of the guides we had were really awesome but he was great because he was this cajun guy who had lived in that area his whole life grown up there so you think he'd have like more of a good old boy attitude about like the environment and stuff like that mm -hmm. but he was very like forward thinking talking about conservation talking about climate change in terms that were really approachable for like the average person that's awesome so he showed us like some of the damage from ida which oh, was what like seven months ago yeah probably eye-opening for everyone on that trip right yeah so he had us pull up our phones and turn the like satellite stuff on yeah so you could, like, like the see. layer yeah thank you the satellite layer on and so it basically was all land on the satellite oh. but as we were driving you could see us clearly driving into like the land oh into the land yeah on the satellite the land wasn't there anymore it was all water oh wow so and it has stayed that way since ida I mean, that makes sense. I mean, Louisiana is very low-lying. Mm -hmm. So, you know, any storm that comes through, like, the wetlands just get more wet. Yeah. Well, and they're, they're losing landmass in the marshes, in the swamps at an enormous rate, partially due to the fact that the Mississippi River 
has been redirected to flow in more of a straight line instead of flowing out into that whole delta region. So the swamps and the marshes don't have the sediment to build up. And when so did that redirection happened. Was that like a natural redirection or was no, that a man-made redirection? That was absolutely man-made. When and why did that happen? I don't know exactly when it happened, but it happened to help direct commerce and create more so it of It sounds like a similar situation that's happening in the Everglades. How like mm-hmm. all the flow used to go through the Everglades and it was like the natural filtration system and now it's all going east and west and all the fertilizers from the farms are like getting sent out. Right. And like it's causing these massive blooms of algae and just like it's fucking up the whole ecosystem and so there's this whole thing down here that's like send it south because it's like they want to send everything back through right everglades and how like restore the natural resources that it had and the filtration and everything sounds similar because it's like they rerouted the mississippi flow mm-hmm. and now it's ruining the delta mm-hmm. and it's like making all these shifts to the environment over there that's super interesting i had no idea that was happening over there yeah if you look at like older like they're not satellite photos but older maps of the mississippi mm-hmm. you can see how much land loss has happened since like they redirected the river and it's not so much a redirection as it's more of a they've just concentrated all of the flow of the mississippi into like its main stem yeah so the delta is not getting as much sediment as it it used to Hmm. and i think essentially it's for commerce to be able to get big ships up the channel and all that kind of stuff yeah i guess i didn't realize that the mississippi was that deep where it would have like commercial ships running through to deliver product oh yeah but especially back in the day it was like and i still today it's like one of the biggest um most important waterways in this country for commerce that's not like an ocean or a bay i always knew it was important i just didn't really know why it was important i kind of forgot a lot a lot of that i'm gonna google how deep the mississippi river is though (laughs) yeah so that's why the louisiana purchase happened was because (laughs) they wanted control it's like i'm in like like middle school history class all over again Well, and this is all stuff that kind of got refreshed while I was there. But anyway, I met this guy, uh, Cajun guy, and he was really great. Um, had a really good idea of what is actually going on ecologically in his home, in it, in the swamp, and in the waters that he fish fishes. Yeah. But also, he got bit. He's an alligator hunter. Hmm. And okay. uh, they, like, straight up wrestle those things. Wrestles <laughs> a gator. <laughs> So I guess he was in the water going after another gator and this big, like, he said it was like an 18 foot gator. Jesus. uh, Bit him in the neck. And And he he lived? Lived. He's got the scars to prove it. Was super close to like his jugular artery, but he had like this huge scar basically running from the back of his ear, like all the way down his neck. Oh no. I was like, what the (laughs) That's something that I never want to experience. <laughs> I'm okay not telling that story. Yeah. Was, I was like, that's crazy. And then um, he also told us about how he he rescued during Ida about 40 people from their roofs. Oh, wow. Good for him. 
And in Katrina, he he rescued so many people with his airboat. Oh, he wow. lost count of how many people he rescued. Oh, my goodness. Um, That's and- impressive. I just had the hair on the back of my neck stand up. <laughs> yeah i did too because it's just he's like a nor- you know normal guy normal I mean, person I, yeah yeah i mean it just goes to show like how like it's those communities that i i'm probably gonna be wrong by saying this but it sounds like it's a small town community yes um even though it's like kind of near big city mm-hmm. and i feel like those types of um like small town feelings are just i don't know it everyone helps each other even in the worst times so yeah and i mean he was going into new orleans to rescue people yeah it wasn't just rescuing people like that lived in his town because most of them could get around on airboats and stuff but right folks in new orleans didn't have access to those kinds of things right and um yeah he said that he tried to go to sleep on the third day finally and he couldn't go to sleep because he knew that every moment he spent sleeping was another person that could potentially he could have rescued. Yeah, that's a lot to bear. Yeah, and he said like it, you also need to rest so you can right. properly and safely save people too. So yeah, but uh, could you imagine? It'd be so hard. Yeah, but yeah, he's so. I thought that was really cool considering we've talked about a lot about hurricanes and a lot about yeah just normal people going out and doing what they can um in these horrifying situations so i thought that would be a good one to share that is a good one to share instead of our uh normal what natural disaster happened today (laughs) yeah i really haven't seen anything come up recently so i had nothing on that one well thank god well there was a, a tornado in new orleans like a couple days before we left yeah it was like an f3 it was a big one god tornadoes are tornadoes and earthquakes are the two and tsunamis so those are the three things (laughs) that i never want to be caught in ever in my entire life although i have been in an earthquake once before that was the the big earthquake in virginia yeah of whatever year that was um but yeah no i the ground is not supposed to move and (laughs) I don't want to be sucked up into a large wind funnel and then mm-hmm. tossed out to my death, thrown thousands of feet from thousands of feet high. Mm-hmm. And I would prefer to not drown. Oh, That's yeah. It's like not my way to go. So, yeah. Well, That's- yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that tornadoes are your top three because they're weirdly still my number one. Like, I think it's because I lived in Kansas during my formative years. So you'd have tornadoes happen all the time. And it always scared me so, so much. Yeah. Like, because when you're a kid, like, it's like. Like, do you remember tornado drills? Like, you just hide under your desk. It's like, okay, like, the desk is going to do anything. Right. Like, if it's an F5, you're you're dead. If it hits you directly, like, you're dead. Like, I know to, like, get in your tub and put a mattress over you. But I just still, like, to me, that still just doesn't seem like enough. there be something else like i would rather be in a bunker when a tornado is coming through oh yeah that's why all uh houses in kansas pretty much have basements every single one yeah 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 i I cannot i yeah tornadoes are definitely up there i mean i've been through earthquakes before so i wouldn't say i'm like that scared of them but i just don't want to be like in the major ones where like the buildings fall 
You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Or like the ground cracks open and whatever. Yeah, screw that. I still have like tornado nightmares. Oh, sure. That stuff is traumatizing because you hear the whistle blow and it's Mm -hmm. like really windy. And then whenever I think of tsunamis, I think of that one tsunami that happened in what was it, Thailand, like years ago. And like Indonesia. Indonesia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Years ago. And like I remember seeing the footage online and it's like, oh, all the footage just that's like I still see that whenever I think of tsunamis so yeah that's like the first time other than like 9-11 I think I've watched a video and like been like oh that person died yeah that person's dead yeah like the people that were like on the beach like saw the wave go out and then like come back in I'm like yep you guys got real fucked yeah hopefully it was a quick one though a quick death? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Gosh, what a mess. Anyway. <laughs> in lighter news, I got third place in the putts for paws tournament this weekend. <laughs> Wait, like putt putt golf? Yeah. Oh so, the S- <laughs> so the SVCA down here every year, they hold a annual putts for paws tournament. And fun fact, the only mini golf in the Florida Keys is at Boondocks, which is on Ramrod Key, which is like 15 minutes away from my house. And so thankfully I live around some sort of entertainment in that sense, um, <laughs> because it's very much, there's not a lot going on, um, but it's fun. And um, yeah, the SPCA, they had their pets for paws tournament and my boyfriend and I were on a team together and we got third place. So how about that? And I want to say our, I, I want to say we scored um, like a 95 or like a 97 total like the 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 whole course is a par 45 mm-hmm. and combined our scores were a 97 or a 95 something like that and the first place team got 92 so like That's we were real cl- we were real close yeah and there's definitely a hole or two that both of us just like couldn't figure it out so <laughs> so yeah so we were we were just like we really I was like we were thinking back on we're like that hole I definitely could have taken three strokes off of it that one I could have definitely had two strokes <laughs> off of it like we could have had first place. <laughs> it's so funny because you're talking about like I'm gonna take three strokes off of that. It's putt putt. <laughs> I, I get competitive. I love putt putt too. So um, and yeah. I had just gone to play that course with my parents when they were in town like three days before doing this tournament and I was like all right cool I just got a little warm up. Um, but yeah, so it's fun. I got a little, I have a plaque and everything. So oh God, I love it. <laughs> and then we, we got a cash prize. So we got a hundred dollars as our cash prize for third. The, um, first place team, I think got like $800. Wow. I want to say that's pretty good. Yeah. It was like 700, 800. And then they have like a bunch of raffles and stuff too. And we didn't win any other raffles, but it was fun. That's what we did on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we um, went on a little paddle and found this island that is, has a pretty nice beach on it. You can paddle to it. It's not too far. So we, we were snorkeling around trying to find some lobster, but we didn't find any lobster. So we, yeah. snorkeled, we snorkeled a bit, kayaked a bit, and then hung out on this um, island that we found that had a little beach on it. And we walked around the island a bit. And then, yeah, that was our Sunday, really. So. I saw that TikTok. And it made me so jealous. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is a, I love that that's like our weekends down here, though. Like, this is so nice. Yeah. So we were going to launch from Bahia Honda, but 
the park was so full that they had closed the parking for it and we got turned away but we just I mean the kayak is my kayak so like we just went down to the next bridge and down here people just pull off on the side of the road and launch wherever it's like completely normal so Mm -hmm. we just went down to the next bridge and like took a look at it and there was no no parking signs so we thought it was fine to park there and then yeah just easy to bring the kayak down in the water and yeah that's what that was what it was that was good Mm -hmm. clear water must be nice yeah it is nice you get to see all the animals we saw like three sharks so many cowfish which was interesting i've never seen cowfish on the flats like that but oh they're everywhere in bahia honda when i went snorkeling there yeah they're like freaking everywhere out there yeah i have never i never saw them like that i mean i also have never paddled around that area before so but yeah no it was fun it was cool yeah i enjoyed it that's good yeah all good things making me jealous (laughs) Well, whenever you guys come visit, we'll just go do some stuff too. Cause yeah, I have a two person kayak and then I have my paddle board. So you and Corey can go take the kayak and then I'll paddle on my paddle board with you. Well, hell, if we drive, actually, no, we're not driving. <laughs> we're not doing that again. Marzi and Waylon can just stay in the house and play with each other while we're out playing. Oh, well, maybe we should drive. <laughs> so Daphne can meet. Yeah. Be like, she's, oh, daycare. she's so grumpy. She's like, Mom, hurry up and finish so we can go to bed. <laughs> Yeah, we probably should get this going because. <laughs> All right, so let's get into our story today. Um, we are going somewhere very different from Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. But still fairly flooded. So there's some similarities going on there. We have not talked about a cave episode or cave story in a while. Yeah. So I thought that for the next two episodes, we could do some really interesting hard hitters for cave diving. Ooh. Because I feel like other, besides like the Thailand um, cave rescue, we haven't really talked about cave diving a whole lot. Yeah, we haven't. And it's like one of the scariest fucking things to me. I would never. I, uh, yeah, could not. I would never. Yeah, and we, we've talked about this so many times about how <laughs> I've made you, like, afraid of caves now. <laughs> yeah, fuck caves. I don't think I'd ever do that. There is a lot of good cave diving sites in Florida, though, apparently. But today I'm we're sure. going... <laughs> I'm sure yeah, there are. There are. Um, we're going to go somewhere else, actually. Somewhere that I'm a little bit more familiar with. Oh, there's Puppy! Yeah, there's Hello. Puppy. He just made his little bed. All right, let's get into this. On to cave diving. Cave diving. Um, also, side note, sorry. The Mississippi River is 200 feet at max depth. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> to that's... answer anyone's questions, I was wondering about that. So that's about the deepest point of, like, the continental shelf is how deep mm-hmm. the Mississippi. That's pretty deep for a river. Yeah. It's pretty deep. So. Yeah, so. All right, so on to this cave diving. Yeah, this place looks cold. I'm already looking at the photos. Why is there snow? Well, we'll get into that. It is okay. it's everything to do with the location. Location, so, location, location. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, cave diving is the most dangerous sport or recreational activity in the world. Period. <laughs> <laughs> Say it one more time for the people in the back. <laughs> <laughs> so don't do it. Unless you're really good. And even then, don't do it. Um, diving to deep depths have 
always been dangerous, but then adding like the additional dangers of going into a deep cave system on top of it creates a uniquely treacherous experience. Yet there are thousands of people who that participate in this sport around the globe and many die from their hobby. Oh God. Yeah, of course. Like a, a huge chunk of, of professional or, you know, professional hobbyists or cave divers die. I'm at sure. Some yeah. Some of the many threats that face cave divers include regular diving threats that you know you and I would have to face like mm -hmm. decompression sickness running out of oxygen but then they include other things like getting lost and getting disoriented in low light conditions or due to sediment being stirred up in the water or getting low on oxygen when there is absolutely no way for them to surface because they're underground <laughs> yeah Ugh. yeah whereas you know we always have open air above our heads somewhere mm -hmm. right Ooh, and then you get the tricky part of like the uh what is it the halocline layer like mm -hmm. the the salt layer and you think you're about to come up to, into air and then you're not because you're just in a different layer of salinity yep that's how people die too yep that's another one yeah which there's some videos of that that is just so bizarre to look like because it looks like they're literally surfacing but it's just more water yeah, I saw that on like a Nat Geo special one time and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. So I'd be wild. the one that dies in that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but divers continue to push further into these flooding passages, mapping places that most people have never seen or will never see. This story focuses on the tragedies that can happen in these water field systems, but also highlight one of the most dangerous body recovery missions that has ever happened in cave diving history so just oh, already man. letting you know <laughs> there's death. bodies death will occur death is upon us yeah um so the cave that we're diving into and i'm gonna i'm gonna probably mispronounce some of this stuff um because it takes place in norway and oh. Okay. Yeah. Hence and all the snow. The snow in the pictures. Yes. Um, also, all of the divers are Finnish. So, which, if you know anything about Finland, is a notoriously difficult language to learn and speak. I have the slight advantage of I spent one month over in Finland because I have very close uh, Finnish friends. So, I'm hoping to not completely mangle these names. <laughs> We'll find out, right? <laughs> yeah, I actually did research to make sure I didn't sound stupid as hell, but we're going to see. <laughs> oh, I'm already looking at some of their names. Yeah, that's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's hard. <laughs> so it might take me a minute, but I did I actually write in pronunciations this time. So the cave is called, the whole system that we're looking at is the Plura, Plura Steinugel Flagget or Flagget. <laughs> Or oh, no. <laughs> more, uh, like, easily known, I guess, as the Plura Gratis cave system, which is located in central Norway um, in the town of Rana at the end of the Pluridalen Valley, where a 35-meter-wide river comes out of the ground. The pond that it creates is called Plura Pond, where you can dive through a multi-kilometer 
network of flooded passages to the the to the Steinugel Flaget cave entrance on the other side. So it's like two cave systems connected by an underwater passage. This these names are just reminding me of something that would be like in an early two thousands YouTube video. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> do you remember um? What was it called? It's like Candy Mountain. With the oh my god! Yes, I was like, it's a Leo Plurodon. Yeah, like <laughs> when you keep saying Pluro stuff, I'm like, Charlie. oh god, it's a Leo Plurodon. <laughs> yeah, as I keep hearing Leo Plurodon in my head whenever you start saying the the Plurodon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not gonna end well for me. Oh yeah, and it it gets more interesting as we go along. So. This cave is the deepest underwater cave in all of Northern Europe. And so let's go take a look at this picture. So slide one, we have Pluridolin Valley, super cold. It looks pretty though. Super Northern. And so in order to access the entrance to the cave in the winter, you have to cut through the layer of ice that's on top of the pond. That just says that you're not supposed to go in there. Like, again, with the caves, if you're not supposed to go in there, don't force your way in. I don't understand. This is a common denominator in all these cave stories. I know. It's like, how do they even find this in the first place? Like, you'd have to dive in the pond in order to even find the entrance of the cave in the first place. This guy literally has a chainsaw cutting through ice. Like, I just feel like it's it's a lot of effort. right and maybe you shouldn't be doing that maybe it's like hey like you know when they're like yeah maybe some door should stay shut you shouldn't like you know knock on them too long or whatever that saying is i feel like it's the same thing maybe you shouldn't cut ice up if you're just not supposed to go down there also yeah how did someone find this like i feel like maybe one of them just fell through the ice on accident and then (laughs) they're just like oh shit there's actually a whole thing down here Well, if you go to slide two, it's not frozen all year round. So in the summertime, you know, it's nice and pretty green. So people literally were like, oh, we could swim this year round if we just cut a hole in the ice. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's annoying. That's Scandinavian Scandinavian ingenuity for you. I just feel like maybe like you should let Mother Nature do its thing and let it be frozen for a bit. Like, you know, <laughs> let the underwater surface environment heal from all the pressure from the summertime. I don't know. <laughs> Re- let it reset itself. She wants a spa day. She wants a spa day. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> I do. But it does very much um, Scandinavian, specifically Finnish tradition to uh go swimming in iced over uh like lakes and stuff in the winter time they'll like cut holes out so that they can go for their brisk morning dip before hopping in the sauna you never catch me doing that i I did it in the summertime when i was there and it was cold enough (laughs) Mm -hmm. um it felt really good like with the sauna but i can't imagine like actually actively going to cut through ice so that you could do that yeah, no, thank you. So, um, I, I can't even get out of the shower here when it's like 60 degrees outside. <laughs> like, yeah, you this... know, when it's like cold outside, so then like the windows like aren't sealed in your house and it gets cold in your bathroom. So, like, you're in a hot shower and then you step out <laughs> of the hot shower and you're like freezing. I can't even do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> let alone swim in a fucking ice pond. <laughs> yep. Well, and the thing is, they're not just swimming in an ice pond. They're going like deep into even deeper. And there's a thermocline. It's going to get colder. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> so let's get into the story. Sorry, I'm just complaining. No, 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 you're fine. <laughs> I'm like, I'm already not it. this type of person. <laughs> so in February 6th, 2014, a group of five divers cut a hole to the ice of the Plura Pond and two divers wearing dry suits and carrying cave diving equipment entered the sump or the flooded passage. And when you're diving in extreme cold conditions, you dive using a dry suit, which can mm -hmm. affect your buoyancy. So you have to have extra training to do it because basically mm -hmm. prevents you from being wet, essentially, is what it does. Yeah. Um, so two hours later, their three friends followed after the sediment that was kind of stirred up by the first two divers had settled. So there were like two different groups going into the cave. Okay. All five were heading toward or heading through the Plura sump that led to the Steinugel Flagit uh, cave. And all five were accomplished Finnish cave divers who had met during explorations of the Ohamo mine near Helsinki, which is the capital of Finland. Customarily during their dives, no one was in overall command and everyone was treated as equals. But the first diver to set off was Patrick Gronkfist. He had discovered the flooded passage that connected the Plura and Steinugelflagit caves the year before. Yuri Huataranen was the second diver who went with him, who was diving the passage for the first time. So while some of these guys were accomplished, not all of them had actually done this dive before. Gotcha. So the, the apply, oh my God, the Plura Steinugel Flagit Passage was a five hour dive in oh which- Oh my God, that's yes, not possible. It is. <laughs> Um, so they, the divers used the aid of underwater scooters and um, dove up to 130 meters, which is a little over 426 feet deep. Oh my god. So they, Their air lasted that long? They bring multiple uh, tanks, and I believe they also had, re yes, they had rebreathers, which we'll get into. Oh, okay. So they have like stuff that's meant for deep water diving so okay yeah so not only are they doing like super dangerous deep water diving they're adding the like danger of a cave on top of it yeah fuck that <laughs> i'm probably gonna say that a lot this episode so uh sorry mom no that's it's i feel very much this way but it's so interesting and i think for me it's like I feel like I know, understand kind of the mentality behind these guys because I've like interacted with, I know Finnish people, I've met Finnish people. They're kind of a breed of apart, which is, we'll get into that too. So Gronkfist says about this passage, uh, the deeper part is very demanding, very cold water and narrow tunnels and deep as well. It's the world's deepest sump that has ever been dived through. So there are many ways to die in this cave. 
according to the divers. One, a tear in your dry suit could lead to hypothermia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Real quick. So cold. Um, Divers can get lost in the sediment. Obviously, that's a pretty common cause of death. And then, but more threateningly, carbon dioxide poisoning can happen through equipment failure if a rebreather fails, um, which is known as hypercapnia. So they have to use the rebreathers in order to have enough oxygen to get through this like five hour super duper deep dive. Mm -hmm. Um, A rebreather can artificially absorb carbon dioxide, but can become overloaded if divers breathe too quickly. So okay, so you have to like slow your breath in a way too. Exactly. So this means that divers cannot swim super hard or super fast at these great depths, um, and even a mild case can cause confusion and disorientation, which is not good when you're like 400 feet underwater. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. So basically, it, like gives in a you... cave too. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just go straight up and get out of there. No um basically yeah it it gives you like carbon dioxide poisoning essentially yeah Yeah. that makes sense so let's get back to our pair our first pair uh Gronkfist and Huatarinen one hour into the dive the pair swum through the deepest section which is about 110 meters from the Plura entrance okay Gronkfist realized Huatarinen was not behind him oh god this is Yuri, the first of many disasters, I can already tell. It is. Uh, Yuri was stuck in a narrow section of the cave, tangled in some of the cord uh, on his equipment. Oh, no. He was signaling for distress with his flashlight. Oh, no. Huatarinen was beginning to panic, so Gronkfist gave him a cylinder of gas to reduce the amount of CO2 in his system. Hmm. Unfortunately, as Huatarinen was switching mouthpieces or the regulators, yeah, he began to swallow water and drowned. Oh God! So that's our first. Oh, that one's fast. Remain yes. calm. Always remain calm. Yes. And when you're switching regulators, make sure you take a good deep breath in and hold your breath. Mm-hmm. But he was already panicked. He's panicked. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it sucks. Which I completely understand. I've been in situations underwater where I've started to feel a little panicky, and yeah. I just can't even imagine doing that under those conditions. Yeah. So because Gronkvist was still in an extremely dangerous situation himself, he had to keep calm. So he For did sure. he tried to free the body, but had to continue on to Steinugelflagit and had to do so super slowly, right? Mm-hmm. because if Gosh, he imagine swimming the rest of the way just knowing that your friend died too god. yeah and then knowing that a second group is coming through behind yeah. you yeah god emotional damage <laughs> emotional no, damage <laughs> i hear that voice in my head a lot ever since i saw that meme and i uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of don't hate it but also some days i do hate it but some days you're like, yes, but actually, yes. Yeah, like, yeah that's actually emotional damage. <laughs> um, so he had to go through slowly as well because he was going to have to go through decompression stops as he began to surface 
or go towards the surface of the second cave, mm-hmm. which decompression stops basically prevent you from getting the bends. Um, and you have to stop at different depths for a certain am- amount of time for the gas, the nitrogen gas bubbles mm-hmm. in your blood to essentially go away before you can keep going up. Isn't it like every 15 feet for three minutes or something like that? Yeah, I think it's 20. I think 20, it's 20. Yeah. But I think in deep, deep water, it's different. It, it There's a whole calculator that you yeah, have to do. Yeah, there is. Yeah. yeah. Um, that you have to plan for every dive. So as he left Huatarnin behind, he knew the second group of divers would find the body and learn that something had gone terribly wrong. So real quick before we move on to the next group, I just want you to look on slide two of the picture of them exploring the cave and describe. The cave? Is the blue line them exploring it? Blue line? Second Where? one? Second, oh, I'm on the third one. Slide Whoops. two, yeah. Whoopsies. Slide two, yeah. No, it's definitely dark. <laughs> <laughs> like, you really can't see a lot. No, I, I am still open water certified. I'm like halfway advanced open water certified, but I've never done a night dive and I do not care to do a night dive, I don't think. I would need a lot of light around if I were going to do a, a night dive. I'm very claustrophobic, so, but it's not only with, obviously, like, with tight spaces, but with the darkness as well. Like, if I can't see or yeah. if the water's turbid, I'm like, I'm out. I don't like it. Yeah, when I was getting um, certified in Virginia, we got certified in a quarry, and, like, the first dive that we did, first cert dive, it was, like, the day after it rained, and, like, all the sediment had gotten into the quarry, and it was, you could not see six inches in front of your face like i even held my hand up to my face to try to like see it yeah and the vis was shit and then our instructor was like oh maybe i'll clear up at the bottom and it cleared up a little bit at the bottom but it was not the best and then we resurfaced he's like oh that was like night vis and i was like oh i never want to experience that because that sucks (laughs) (laughs) and like i think the visibility is fine in the cave as long as you don't stir up the sediment yeah but like it's still so effing dark in there that it's yeah. still like absolutely terrifying so we'll get back to our our teams here yes 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 sorry we're on so many sidetracks <laughs> i'll do my best to not no it's all good uh that's what editing is for so yeah. on the second team vesa Rotanen, um who's 33 was the first to find to a Taranen and also decided to pass the dead diver Mm. because it was so dangerous his only other option was to turn around for a long and dangerous dive back um because the dive from pleura to this point was longer than if he to go back than if he just kept going to sinugal flagit yeah so it took him 15 minutes to get past his dead friend. Ugh. Yeah. Who was stuck God. in a tight passage of the cave. Oh, um, no. And because he did that 15 minutes, he spent too much time on the bottom. Yeah. And so it added three hours to his decompression time. Oh, my God. 
So deep sea decompression or deep water decompression takes a lot longer than like regular, like to a hundred feet decompression like yeah. we do. Yeah. Also, so one question is hmm. like they're passing their dead friend, but they're not going to take him with them to like bring him out of there. Like the situation is so dangerous at that point. Oh, it's like okay. removing bodies from Everest. Okay. That's a well, bummer. And remember, we talked about there's going to be tragedy, but also there's going to be the most impressive body recovery. Oh, oh. but it's not going to happen right now. Okay. <laughs> because they're all in so much danger. Yeah. Because of the situation. So because uh, Rontanen was running low on gas, he actually surfaced 80 minutes early than what he should have based on how deep he was um and he began to suffer pains in his knees and elbows which are symptoms of decompression sickness mm -hmm. and grew more serious in the following hours oh no so while rontanen was struggling to pass huatarinen's body the other two divers behind him yare usamaki and kai kankanen were also struggling as well it's believed that Usumaki panicked after seeing the first accident and Kankanen, or yeah, Kankanen tried to come to his aid, but uh, Kankanen perished as well, potentially from hypercapnia from panicking and breathing quickly. They're not entirely sure how Kankanen died. Oh no. Or sorry, not Kankanen, Usumaki. <laughs> okay. Usumaki, uh, Yari Usumaki was the individual who perished due to hypercampnia. Okay. Uh, Konkanen decided to turn around and swam the long way back to Plura, which is where they entered. Um, and he emerged at the entrance 11 hours later. Oh my God. Which is six hours longer than the dive was supposed to take. God, that's like a, literally a full day of just exercising. Mm-hmm and dealing with all of that other stuff the yeah. grief yeah the stress by the time he reached plura the pond had frozen back over again and he had to break the ice to get out by himself god how do you break the ice if you don't, do you have like tools with them they must have had a dive knife or something god yeah so konkanen uh gronkvist and um Rontanen were the three that made it out, and Usumaki and Huatarinen both perished in the passages of the cave. Oh and goodness. you can see kind of the diagram of the cave and where the two accidents happened mm -hmm. on slide three. Yeah. Yeah. So the blue line is like that, like the water, and then where it's white, that's like where it's land. So, like in the middle there, they can like resurface is mm -hmm. that what that is okay. yeah yeah so yeah all of the the blue represents like the flooded path areas of the cave okay. and the white represents the areas that are like free air i guess okay um so you can see i mean they perish very close to each other but it's in the very deepest recesses yeah of the cave um and you can also see how the two caves are essentially connected by this big channel that goes back and forth between the two. Mm -hmm. 
and Pleura is underwater and Steinugelflagit is not. The entrance okay. is not, right? All right, so all three survivors were hospitalized with decompression sickness, but recovered in the time after the accident. So decompression sickness is otherwise known as barotrauma or the bends is caused by a rapid decrease in water pressure caused by a very quick ascent while diving from deep water. This causes excess nitrogen gas bubbles to build up in the body's tissues and blood from the mix of oxygen and nitrogen in the compressed air that they're breathing. Symptoms caused by the bubbles include joint pain, rashes, paralysis, and even death. So it's probably the biggest threat to post-mortem after a dive, essentially. Yes. So divers typically avoid this by calculating their dive time, dive depth, um, using a dive table or computer to determine how long to stay at safety stops at different depths throughout their dive to prevent surfacing too quickly based on how deep they go. However, for this dive, the three survivors had to surface more quickly to prevent running out of oxygen since they had spent so much time dealing with the bodies and dealing with passing the bodies in the cave passage because they were in freaky. Yeah. So overall, the deeper the dive, the higher the risk of getting the bends. Yeah. Because I've definitely surfaced way too quickly, but because I was at a shallow depth, I was fine. <laughs> yeah. So, um, um, but they were at 400. Like, I would think like 25. I'm like, okay, I can surface from this. Yeah. <laughs> 30 is probably the, the safest to completely surface without a safety stop, I think. Yeah. So milder decompression sickness can be treated with hyperbaric oxygen therapy or um, recompression chambers. So there's still two bodies down there. And you brought up the whole fact of why didn't they just bring their friends to the surface? So there was talk of body recovery by the survivors and the Norwegian police. Mm Mm-hmm. A team was beginning to be assembled to go back for Huatarinen and Usamaki's bodies. Um, British cave diver Rick Stanton was called, who was world-renowned for his recovery work in caves. And he had already done a body recovery in Plura in 2006. He would also go on to be one of the lead divers in the incredible Thai cave rescue, in mm-hmm. which... 15 kids and their soccer coach were successfully rescued from mm-hmm. the Tham Luang cave, which we talked about in an earlier episode. So mm-hmm. familiar name there. I feel like it's a very small world. Um, Stanton requested two other British cave divers, both who were also ended up doing the Thai cave rescue as well. Um, John Valanthan and Jason Mallinson, but after an initial exploratory dive, they determined that Huatarinen could not be freed from the Steinugelflagit side, and he was blocking access to Usumaki's body as well. Oh no. Stanton realized that this would involve many dives if it was to be successful. The alternative option was to dive from the Pleuris side, but Stanton determined it was too risky, especially for body recovery, so the Norwegian police called off the recovery. 
That's a bummer. Right, but here's where we're gonna break the law. <laughs> <laughs> What's that one song? It's like breaking the law, breaking the law. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a nerd. So Gronkfist, however, had made a promise to Yari Huatar and his wife that they would retrieve them. And so all of the survivors agreed to help, but they had to do it on the DL. So they recruited their friend, Sami Pakarainen. No, Pakarainen. Sami Pakarainen. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Who had been diving in Mexico at the time of the accident um, to dive down with them as well. He was like another accomplished cave diver. Mm -hmm. And you can see the picture of Vesa Rontanen, who's one of the survivors, uh, Sami Pakarinen, um, and then Patrick Gronkvist um, mm -hmm. on the next two slides. And these are from one of the articles I looked at, and I think they're really awesome portraits. I was going to say, they look so badass. They really do. And I'll put those on the Instagram. If they failed to retrieve the bodies, the cave would remain closed to the sport forever if the bodies were blocking safe passage for other divers. Which I know between you and I, we're like, we'll keep it closed. Yeah. <laughs> no, one no one needs to go down there, but no. they're a different breed, these cave divers. So they kept their mission a secret because if they told the Norwegian authorities, they would be banned from an attempt. Pakarinen felt as if they had an advantage because all of the divers, including him, had traversed Plura before, but he warned the others to process their emotional aspects of the rescue in the months before their recovery descent. And this is because the men knew the victims they were rescuing and it may affect them and cause them to become upset breathe more quickly and potentially becoming victims of the cave themselves. So yeah. I thought that was. And I see here there's a squeeze. There's squeezes mm. down there. Yes. Ugh. Yes. We all know how I feel about a squeeze. Yes. So there, that's kind of where Huataranen got stuck in one of those really narrow spots. Ugh. Which is why they were having a hard time getting past him, why they were having a hard time freeing him. So it's a hot mess. Oh uh, yeah, no, thank you. I'm like the very technical about it. Yes. Yeah. Well, and when you're cave diving and you go through a, a squeeze, you have to like shove your tank out first. Uh huh. Yeah. Because you oftentimes can't fit with your tank on your back, so you have to make sure that you don't lose your respirator mm -hmm. or damage your tank as you're pushing it in front of you. Mm -hmm. Which I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> or you could just not. <laughs> I was like, that's why I stick to the open ocean. Uh, right? So, as far as the uh, dealing with the emotional aspects prior, the Finns kind of had an advantage here because Finns are particularly known for their cool-headed and stoic nature. And I can attest to this. I often got yelled at for being too loud and excitable. And not yelled at, but chastised a little bit for being loud and excitable while I was there. Um, everyone knew I was American immediately. Oh, yeah? yeah. Finns also have a proud history of retrieving bodies of their friends, um, basically, you know, never leaving a friend behind, especially um, with Finnish soldiers recovering their fallen comrades during the Winter War. 
against the um, USSR in the 1940s. So there's there's kind of this brotherhood that Finns have with each other. That makes so, sense. Yeah. So in total, the four divers ended up recruiting 27 people for the Plura, Plura Grata recovery on March 22nd of 2014. Um, so this consisted of seven Finns and 10 Norwegians. There were two teams of support divers for um, the shallower levels of both ends of the cave passage. So they would basically be there to help the deeper divers um, when they brought the bodies up or pass you know, equipment potentially down to them, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, Gronkvist, Pakarinen, and Konkinen would dive into the deepest section of the cave to raise the bodies. Rantanen was still recovering from a spinal injury from his decompression sickness, so oh God. he decided to be the surface manager. That's so, fair. yeah, which I'm like, smart. Like, you don't want to do that while you're severely injured yourself. Yeah, definitely not. So this was a five-day operation, which basically involved lugging a ton of gear down into Steinugelflaget, whose entrance was up a mountain, but was dry, um, and setting up equipment in the cave and near the Plura side. So those pictures, you can see them kind of lugging all of the equipment down into Steinugelflaget, and that squeeze that you're talking about is in part of the dry section of the cave. Okay. So that's how tight it was for them to even get, like, the diving equipment down. Well, at least it was also in the dry section, though. Like, you didn't have to worry about the other, like, water part of that. Yeah. Well, and that's why they kind of staged everything in that part. Yeah. So on March 24th, the recovery began. The three went into the water, along with their support teams. But after descending 85 meters, Konkanen returned. He explained that he had slept badly the night before and was not in the right frame of mind for the operation. Pakarainen and Gronkvist continued their descent. They swam past Usumaki's body, moving 20 meters further to where Huataranen was stuck, managing to cut Huataranen's equipment away to release the body to negotiate it through the narrow section of the cave. They brought Huataranen's body all the way uh, through the cave up to Steinugelflaget successfully. Wow. Uh, so Usamaki's body is still down there. They have to do multiple dives in order to do it safely. So the following day, Gronkvist and Pakarainen returned to retrieve Usamaki's body, assisted by another diver, Yanni Santala, uh, launching the recovery at Steinugelflaget this time instead of Plura. This day was more difficult because Usamaki's body was buoyant and hard to handle. Pakarainen had a near brushed with death himself when part of the cave collapsed on him. <gasps> but yeah. Oh my god. Like, there was a rock fall, I think. But he was able to recover and swim on. Fin- finally, both victims were lifted up through Steinugelflaget. The whole operation took 101 hours of diving time, and the group held a small memorial ceremony in the cave before going to the police station. 
That's nice that they had their own little memorial. Yeah. Pakarainen said he sensed the Norwegian police were pleased with the recovery, um, but indicated that they had broken some rules and the police would have to investigate them. Oh. After six months, though, they were told that they would face no charges, and the Finnish president awarded Gronkvist the first-class medal of the White Rose of Finland. Uh, British diver Rick Stanton was later quoted as saying the Finns effort was well planned and executed, but a little bit out there in terms of danger. Little did he know that he would go on to set up a far more dangerous and high stakes rescue mission for the soccer team that was stuck in the Tom Long cave Mm -hmm. in 2019. So, wow. So he ate his words a little bit. Um, Stanton also said that with proper training and planning, accidents such as this should never happen to experienced divers, which is interesting because it keeps fucking happening to really experienced people. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I was thinking about this free diver recently who he passed away a couple years ago, but he was like a very well-known free diver and he died free diving. So it happens. Yeah, it does, because it's the nature of nature, right? Yeah. So the Plura Grotto Caves are open again. However, nobody has attempted to dive between the two caves. Although Pakarainen says it's only a matter of time. All three surviving divers have gone on to continue to enjoy the sport despite their harrowing experience. But Plura Grotto remains one of the most dangerous caves in Europe. And it may only be a matter of time before it claims more victims. Yeah, definitely. And and that is the story of the Plura Cave tragedy. That's a good story, and I am never going there. <laughs> I can safely say that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a rough one, but, like, considering what they did just to recover their friends' bodies and what they had to do to, like, survive themselves is is just crazy the amount of like emotional and physical control you would have to have yeah especially like considering those dives were like over five hours long yes i'd be freaking out if i had to pass my dead friend right i don't think i've been on a dive that's longer than like 45 minutes right (laughs) yeah it's like i don't know what that's like yeah, I, I don't either. All right, well. Want to do your sources before we forget? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I actually only have two citations for this. Um, one is an article from BBC News by William Kremer, um, and it's titled The Cavers Who Went Back for Their Friends. Aww. Um, And then also the documentary Diving into the Unknown, which I believe is on Amazon Prime. Okay. And that's actually how I first found out about this whole deal. Um, So it's definitely worth a watch, but there are a lot of subtitles because they do speak Finnish like almost the entire time. But for me, it was kind of like this weird because I've heard Finnish before and it just kind of like was like this weird trigger of nostalgia for me even though it was about this like really terrible thing yeah it's like i almost felt like i know i knew these people but yeah so those are my sources nice good deal um i thought it was a good story 
Yeah, I it's it's one of the more positive ones because typically these just really often end up in absolute tragedy. Yeah. Um, more I like how often. they were able to go back for their friend. Yeah, and it's impressive It's, because it's insane that's... that, yeah, I would say it's insane that those dives are like 11, whatever, hours long. Yeah. Ugh. That's like, I mean, that's longer than a work day. I know, I, I just, that's how I, yeah, that's how I rationalize it. I'm like, that's a long ass work day. Yeah. That's like, you're dead tired from that work day. And what Yeah. are you doing? Just, you know, being at your desk or whatever. Yeah. The mental energy was expended. <laughs> um, so yeah. It's it's a wild one. And I think I feel like I did an okay job with pronunciation. Yeah, no, it sounded like you did great. The St. Hugo Flagit one like kept getting me at the Yeah. beginning. Yeah. But that's a hard <laughs> word to say too, so. and I think that one's Norwegian, so I, I have no like um like uh precedent or uh like reference for even how to pronounce that, you know. Um, Finnish is fun because it's like a very sing-songy language. Yeah. So like who atarinen and rantanen and bakarainen, like that's Yeah. how, like it's kind of supposed to be pronounced. I'm sure that was awful, but that's kind of what it sounds like to me um, when It I hear sounds it. like you did a good job, but I don't know anything different, so don't take my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> Idiot. All right, so. Should we do some happy things? Mm-hmm. Do some happy things. Um, happy thing for me was that I had a good weekend, honestly. Yeah. Good weekend. Yeah. Kind of Good already luck. talked about it, so I don't Yeah. really feel like we need to go into more detail about it, but yeah. I mean, you are a putt-putt champion, so. <laughs> Add that to the resume. I think that was my best game yet. Honestly, I've played that course a couple of times. I got a hole in one on the first hole. I was like, this is off to a great start. To be honest, like putt putt is the only golf I will ever play because I find like normal golf so boring. Yeah, that's fair. I like I'll go to a driving range, I'll go to top golf, I'll do mini golf, but I've never played <laughs> a full round of golf in my entire life. So I mean, I'll drive the golf cart around and get drunk. I'll do that. <laughs> right. My mom says that any sport where you can play a sport and you just hang on to at the same time is not a sport. Uh, I agree with that. <laughs> like, well, you could technically eat a sandwich at the same time you're playing tennis if you try hard enough. <laughs> well, that's true, but that's just impressive. Oh my goodness. So I just was checking Facebook real quick to see if there was anything on there. And on a stormy night in 2005, an African flamingo known as number 492 because of the number on its leg band managed to escape from a Kansas zoo. Now the bird has been spotted on the Texas coast 17 years later. Jillian, you have to take a look for this flamingo. <laughs> I will. Good for him leaving Kansas. <laughs> He's like, get me the hell out of here. It's cold and there is freaking tornadoes. I don't like it. The Coastal Fisheries <laughs> Division of Texas Parks and Wildlife confirmed hey. Tuesday to the Associated Press that the African flamingo known as number 492 because of the number on its leg band was captured on video on a video shot March, oh, excuse me, was captured on video shot March 10th by an environmental activist near Port Lavaca, Texas at What? Rhodes.
at Rhodes Point in Cox Bay. Are you near there? That's where I fucking live. Jillian, this flamingo is near you. You should go what? find it. <laughs> go find it. Yeah, that's the organization I work for as well, actually. Yeah, I was Coastal gonna, gonna try, yeah. I was gonna try to say that too like excited because I wasn't sure, but okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh god, um, I'll have to tell Corey. Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye out for him because he's like literally in town. Cox Bay yeah. is very close. What the hell? That's I I go to like Nola for fucking a weekend and miss the flamingo news, clearly. Jeez. I'll this in the chat. <laughs> Well, I guess my thing is apparently we have a flamingo in town. <laughs> That's fun. Um, I guess uh, I guess my happy thing is that I'm getting very close to finishing the lab part of a study that I have been working on since I moved to Texas. Oh yeah. Uh yeah. And so I'm gonna be once I close that out, I'll be able to start like the writing process for our manuscript. Oh, wow. Which will be uh, another long and agonizing <laughs> process, but it's it's nice to kind of close out that part of the study. Yeah, um, that's true. So that's kind of my happy close thing. close out that part of the study. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully my foot will get better. Oh, I'm sure it will. <laughs> you just got to rice it. Rest, ice, compression, and elevation. I thought you just like misspoke. <laughs> gotta no. rice it. <laughs> no, just gotta rice it. God, I've sprained my ankles so many times playing soccer. It's like that shit is ingrained in my brain. I'm surprised I have not injured myself more in that way because I fall down all the fucking time, like all the time. <laughs> Face first into the sidewalk all the time. <laughs> yeah, but that's exactly. So my knees are messed up too. I've got huge Aww. bruises on my knees and I hit my face too oh, so no. hard that my friend who was with us was like, I'm amazed you didn't get a concussion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would have not been fun. So I got like a bruise on my chin and like a cut on my lip, but other than that, but I'm a mess. I'm a mess. It's all good. At least this... you're a little intoxicated, so your body probably hit the ground a little bit. Less yeah, hard. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, like, that's... You know, when you're when you're like sober, you tense up, and when you're drunk, you're not it's really tense. So it just kind mm -hmm. of it's like rubber more. Yeah, that's why. Uh, not to bring the mood down, but that's why drunk drivers often survive. Yeah, no, that's what yeah. I was thinking too when I was saying that because that's where I heard that. But I was not driving. I was walking. I was being responsible. <laughs> yes, two feet. Um, but yeah, that's what you get for trying to party in New Orleans like you're 20 when you're 30. Yeah. Um, Mercy, stop pushing the laptop, baby girl. Come here. Come here. She's right here. She's like, Mom, are you ready for bed? Because I'm ready for bed. I'm ready for the sleepies. All right. So if our listeners want to find us, where can they find us? Oh, yeah. You guys, <clears throat> excuse me while my voice is going. Anyone can find us on the socials, on Instagram at Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast, and on Twitter at MNWKY Podcast. And then we have our website, which is Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast.com. You can hit us up there or you can listen to us there you can also listen to us on 
Spotify podcast, Apple podcast, Google podcast, and any streaming platform. Ta-da. Yep. Um, and then in addition to all of that, if you have a survival story or a story in which you were out in nature and felt just a little uncomfy <laughs> um, because of what happened to you, um, we uh, please like write in to us. Um, we have a story submission page on the website. Um, and it doesn't have to be anything crazy. You don't have to have gone cave diving, lost two of your best friends, and had to go back and recover the bodies or anything like that. But if you have, we want to hear about it. But yeah, it can really be just about anything as long as it involves um, an uncomfortable moment for you in nature. Um, in addition to that, uh, if you want to support the podcast, you can do so by giving us a five-star review um, on any of the listening platforms because it just helps to push us up with the algorithm. Mm -hmm. I don't really know how it works. It's like math and stuff, but somehow it gets us um, more noticed by listeners. And so if you want to help, that is the best way to do so. Um, and then thank you for uh, listening. And uh, with that. Until next time, stay safe. But most of all, stay curious, explorers. See you later. Uh, goodbye. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs>